Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fury Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I am Jim. I am Jim. Jim, how are you today, buddy? You know, I'm going to flip the script on you and I'm going to ask you how the hell you're doing. Because I, uh, I'm i fine, but I've got a couple of gripes this week. And I definitely don't want to always be the one that kind of like, <laughs> you know, things... Are, uh, there's some, there's some, it, this is a very positive, upbeat kind of podcast. We have fun doing it. Yeah. So I'm not going to, uh, to run negative. But uh, what's up with you? Jim's got a story to tell people and I can't wait. Yes, I do. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but... Uh, me, I'm good. Uh, health-wise, I've been doing great this week. Uh, eating more than I should, which is better than not eating at all. Uh, although, my blood sugars have been staying in, the, in a really positive trend, which is good. Um, especially given that it was Halloween and I've been nibbling a little bit on the old treats. And, oh, same uh, here. <laughs> I've had a real thing for Starburst lately, and I don't know what it is, but... Oh, God, we had a whole bunch of Starburst knocking around the bottom of the bowl, too. And, uh, yeah, the, the only thing that stops me from just gobbling those things by the handful is the fact that they're individually wrapped. <laughs> they take too much time. Damn it! Maximum effort! <laughs> yeah, you, you burn almost half the calories just getting the paper off. Right. Uh, but other than that, I mean, things are going good. Uh, good. Celebrated Daniela's birthday this weekend. She's now uh, th- 35 years old. Happy birthday, Danny. That's right. Happy birthday to my baby. And uh, so we went out and we got, uh, she wanted to have the Hawaiian barbecue place down the road has uh, this garlic chicken. And so we got garlic chicken. My God. Baller. It is. But the gastrointestinal nightmare that develops because of that. I mean, and I swear to God, I'm going to wear out the fart button on all of these sound effects that I use. But uh, it, it was it was alarming. The only positive aspect of that was that we both ate it, so there was really not just one person to blame. So, yeah, there used to be this Hawaiian barbecue when I lived in Vegas that was fantastic, and I worked with this guy who was Tongan, and even though it wasn't uh, you know necessarily his culture, it was still uh, Polynesian food, and he loved it. And we used to go there all the time, and they had the uh, the short ribs, which are amazing, the macaroni mm. salad. But my favorite thing to do. And it sounds a little counterintuitive because it's not a sweet thing; it's a savory thing. But I used to grab a uh, a double fistful of spam masubi on the way out the door yeah. every time and eat it in the car. And no matter how full I was for <laughs> having just a the the, the furikake chicken and the, uh, the the roast pork and all the delicious uh, island stuff, I'd still grab a couple of those because uh, there's always room for Jello, and apparently there's also always room for spam masubi, even though it's got lots of rice. Why can't you have egg, bacon, spam, and sausage? That's got spam in it. Not as much as spam, egg, sausage, and spam. <laughs> Apparently it doesn't count. You've got a uh, nope. That goes in the dessert stomach. Shit's delicious. <laughs> uh, but we did that, and then uh, uh, Saturday came around, and we all went and uh, we went and saw a movie. We went and saw Black Adam in the theater. Finally yeah. checked that bucket list off. Really good. Um, not good. deep. Not deep. But I didn't expect it to be. Uh, surprise standout. I mean, in a movie that has uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and, and a movie that has uh, Aldous Hodge and, and and all these great actors in it, the surprise standout for me was Pierce Brosnan playing uh, Dr. Oh. Fate, uh, which is the, one of the mystical characters, the stronger mystical characters in the DCU. And uh, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed the movie. Not a great popcorn flick. Absolutely. Um, well, that's on my list. I definitely got to check that out before it heads out of the multiplex. I just have not had a chance to get to it yet. Yeah, I get it. And, and 
it, it took us a while to get there. Just because we haven't been seeing a lot of movies lately. But uh, and then next weekend, uh, or this weekend, as we record, um, we have uh, Wakanda Forever dropping. Yes. Wakanda Forever. And so. Oh, looking forward to that. That's on the list as well. Probably not next weekend. Probably the weekend after. I'm gonna have to try and avoid any spoilers for a week, just because I gotta wait for a payday to drop. So, but looking forward to uh, Wakanda Forever as well. But after that, and then uh, you know, like I said, we went and got Hawaiian barbecue and came home and ate all the garlic chicken and and macaroni salad. And my son had a spam wasabi, just like you're talking about, and you know, delicious, good, good, good stuff. And then we watched. Uh, the Weird Al movie. Weird. A, a Al Yankovic story, I think it's called. Oh, this is a story about a guy named Al, and he lived in a sewer with his hamster pal. But the sanitation workers really didn't approve, so he packed up his accordion and had to move to a city in Ohio where he lived in a tree, and he worked in a neighborhood congestion factory, and he played on the Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, we watched that too this weekend. It, now, we, now, I'm going to say it like this. I tried my red letter best to find a way to watch it fully legal I, I i looked for the roku app it doesn't exist on either ps4 or ps5 or xbox series x okay so then i tried doing the streaming from the uh you're supposed to be able to sign into roku on the internet browser full screen it and you can just watch it that way and so that's what i did and it gave me the ad at the beginning of the movie saying hi i'm weird al and thanks for watching my movie and blah 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 and then it went to a black screen and never moved from the black screen. I think it was just being oh, it was streamed so much that it was crashing it. And so ultimately I turned around and I, uh, yo-ho. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. And, uh, but, and then uh. what, what's funny about that is I actually saw Weird Al post to Twitter, which the less said about Twitter currently, the better. But, uh. Um, Amen. Uh, he posted something about, uh, some, someone in Australia was complaining about not being able to stream, uh, I guess they don't have a way to stream it over in Australia just yet. And, uh, Weird Al said something to the effect of, I'm sure you have a torrent of other options. Uh, I wish you luck. <laughs> well, when <laughs> the like, capitalized torrent. suggests, yeah, yeah I, you know, that's... <sighs> He, like a lot of creators now, they, they've sort of, I'm sure, understood that they've got multiple streams of revenue, and this is just a project that he's been very passionate about and very supportive of, so, I mean, everybody already got paid on that. It's, it's Roku Channel is essentially a free streaming service, and I, I'm a, a Roku devotee, that's how I get my streaming. I have a Roku TV, it's got the uh, OS integrated right into it, so um, I've been getting, you know, and I've been getting ads for it, you know, it's, it's, it's been popping up on the sidebar, but... Apart from that, like, I, you know, I'm surprised we haven't done an episode on Weird Al yet. We're going to have to stick that in the hopper of things we're going to have to get to, because I have many, many times said that Weird Al is a national treasure, and anyone who disagrees is an idiot. The man is a <laughs> musical genius and a cultural treasure. I will cheerfully fistfight anyone who disagrees, and I will win. Um, I have loved this man since I was a kid, yeah, and had a chance to even meet him once, and I've seen him in concert a couple of times, um, the most recent time. I was supposed to see him on the self-indulgent covers tour, the second iteration of that he just finished at Carnegie Hall, um, and I had a friend who had tickets, um, and Justin, if you're listening, I'm still feeling uh, really crappy about this, 
we had tickets to go, and then two days before the concert, I, uh, I, I tested positive for COVID. So, did not go. Um, so that means the most recent time that I went was just before COVID, and uh, our friend Deanna in Colorado um, had said to me, uh, she was talking about how she was going to be heading out to uh, Red Rocks for a concert, and I, I just mentioned in passing, oh, Red Rocks. It's a bucket list item. Definitely got as, as committed to live music, and we've done a whole episode on it. As I am, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I love that. It's a. I've always wanted to get there. It's one of the coolest places to see a concert in the world. Uh, so she said, "You know what? Tell you what. We've never met in person, and uh, it's about time. So if you can look at their upcoming concert schedule, identify a show you'd like to go to, and get your ass to Colorado. You can stay with me, and I'll pick up concert tickets, and you know we'll 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 make a, a couple of days out of it." So I saw. Al on the uh, the Strings Attached tour with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra at Red Rocks, and it was just brilliant. Everything I hoped nice. it would be, and then some. So fantastic! But yeah, if you have not seen the Weird movie yet, and you are at all a fan of Weird Al, and if you're not, why are you listening to this podcast? But you know, run, do not walk to either the Al approved torrent channels or the Roku channel if you're <laughs> one of those people, as I am, and uh, and watch this movie because it was just lovely and hilarious and brilliant and i'm glad it was everything we talked now we talked about it beforehand uh, and we talked about like if this isn't uh the weird owl equivalent of a biopic then i don't want anything to do with it it can't be serious yeah. it can't be it has to be tongue-in-cheek it has to poke fun at the genre it has to we, we said, see a spoof of musical we, biopics in and of itself which right. is exactly what it was right we said that it was that that was a must for us going back when we talked about it and it was all that and then some, and the casting of Daniel Radcliffe I thought was not only brilliant, but there was one of the fi- my favorite scenes in the movie, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but uh, as you know, Al becomes famous, and on his road to fame, he attends a pool party uh, hosted by <laughs> Dr. Demento, and the list, the list of quote-unquote celebrity cameos, and I say quote-unquote celebrity cameos because... Uh, there are celebrity cameos, they are played by celebrities, but they're not played by the celebrities. So you got, you know... That was one of my favorite moments of the film, yeah. too. Not just spotting all the background characters, but trying to, to, to divine who the people were who were playing the characters. Divine was, was there, it was, too. Was a, yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, pun, pun definitely not intended, but uh, certainly germane in this instance. Uh, just wonderful. Just a wonderful movie, and and Rain Wilson plays Doctor Demento. Rain Wilson of The Office fame, uh, Dwight Schrute, uh, plays Doctor Demento brilliantly, wonderfully, and with just an incredible amount of range. And I just, yeah. just I can't say enough good things about this movie. It's no. everything I wanted it to be, and still full of surprises. Absolutely, and and like I said, uh, uh, go out and check it out. It's free. It's 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 readily available if you know where to look. Um, just ask Al. Yeah, and, he'll uh, tell you. And that's coming from a guy who wrote, don't download this song. So don't download this song. Don't go pirating music all day long. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, depending on circumstances, uh, a lot of people can... Um, have kind of like flexible attitudes about things, which is another theme that's going to come up a little later. But in the short term... As much as I don't like uh, feeding into the capitalist machine, I don't believe in it. It's a, a system we all must labor under, whether we like it or not. Right. Um, but uh, when the, 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 the Powerball gets to the point in the popular oh culture God. where it sort of escapes 
the usual, I'm going to get a pack of Marlboros and a couple of scratch-offs crowd that is always standing in front of you at the convenience store. When it actually cracks out in the mainstream and, and you get to the point where... I'm buying tickets. Um, I'm, I never buy lottery tickets, but right. I was I was in, in the store the other day and I'm walking past the lottery kiosk. Yeah, pretty much every you know decent sized big box store now, which shall remain unnamed, uh, has a uh, a lottery kiosk now in in front of the where you can you can plug in cash and get scratch offs or get Powerball or Mega Bucks tickets or whatever your game is. Um, I was walking by, not this most recent drawing or the one before, but the one before that. Right when it cracked a billion dollars on the Powerball, a, 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 a billion with a fucking billion, yeah, and. I happened to notice under the corner of my eye because advertising is powerful and there was a nice big banner on it saying, hey, the jackpot's up to a billion dollars. What are you going to do about um, it? The drawing is tonight. And in my time zone, the drawing happens, uh, I mean, it happens nationwide, but it, it's, it's a, it was happening in about 10 minutes. It was a little bit, about 10 minutes before the drawing. And I thought, what a great story that would be because I just ran out for a couple of things I'd forgotten for dinner. So I popped over to the ATM and yanked a, a 20 out of it and stuck it on the machine. And I thought... If I can buy these tickets, like literally like six or seven minutes before the actual drawing, they'll have the drawing by the time I get home. And what a great story that would be. Plus, you know, what a great lump of cash that would be. Right. Obviously, I did not win. Um, otherwise, um, you know, we'd be recording this from a luxury cave in Aruba. <laughs> um, but uh, I also did not win the last one or the one after that. But there is another drawing um, as we uh, record this this evening. Uh, so I do have more tickets, and uh, the last estimated jackpot that I saw is it's somewhere between one and a half and one point nine billion dollars. One point nine. Jesus Christ! You know, not just a life-changing amount of money, but lives-changing amount of money. At this point, you know, you could buy everybody you know a house and still never have enough uh, time to spend the rest of what you have left. Can I buy but a I super yacht? Rehearsal. Can I buy a super yacht? You could buy. You can buy a support yacht for your support yacht, Brenny. So that's what that's why that goes. But we were talking about this at band rehearsal the other night. Like, what kind of what would you buy with it? And I think, again, ninety percent of the fun of buying lottery tickets is not just pissing the money away. It's fantasizing about what you'd do if you won. Right. And as much as I'm not really all that smart financially, I understand <laughs> that the reason why a lot of lottery winners are cash poor by the end of their annuities or they blow through the lump sum or whatever they take is because they don't understand a thing that rich people who have been generationally rich understand. And that is if you have a good chunk of money, you don't spend it, you invest it, and then you let your money make money, then you live off the money the money makes. And so if you have $1.9 billion, you could stick that in a series of investments that pay certain dividends and have several hundred million dollars a year in interest and, and, uh, and dividends to live off of, and you never touch that principle. And um, then suddenly everybody that ever descends from you or is even connected to your life in any remote way uh, is taken care of for life with that kind of cash. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the first thing I would do is I'd buy a couple of houses in one or two cities I've traveled to and loved and, you know, maybe a nice land yacht of a vehicle like a Bentley or a, a Rolls Royce or something, something really extravagant and super comfortable, a couch on wheels, and then sock the rest of it away and, you know, drip and drab out, you know, money to, to loved ones and, and friends and family and stuff as, uh, as, as need be. And then just kind of like, you know, uh, fill up a passport for the next year or two. Yeah. But obviously I'm not going to win. I, I'm looking at the tickets on my desk right now, but I'm not going to win. But it sure is fun to think about. Um, because as the rich are quick to remind us, money can't buy happiness, but, you know, as anybody who's ever worked for a living understands, uh, it can buy security and peace of mind, and really those are the same fucking thing. And as the great and mighty Weird Al Yankovic himself once said, So if money can't buy happiness, I guess I'll have to rent it. <laughs>
Yeah, one of my favorite songs of his. But uh, <sighs> I, I think I told uh, the first thing that I would do with the money is, and like I said, I would just I would buy a compound, like yep. in the oh, mountains, yeah. wherever as far away as I could get, and still have reliable high speed internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would I would buy a, a house, a big house, a big car, and a recording studio for music and a recording studio for podcasts, and then I would just kind of fall off the planet for a while. Just yeah. kind of do my thing and not have to worry about yeah, if everything. You, if either one of us wins, uh, we might not necessarily say anything, but there will be signs. Oh, yes. There definitely will be signs. The production uh, value of, of this things, podcast would be greater. I guarantee it. And, and not just that, but um, uh, the other thing that I, I, I read, uh, I read an article, you're, uh, the, the, the general gist of which was, you're not going to win the lottery. Let's just get that right. But if you do, here's how that could change your life. And uh, there was a guy who was a wealth manager who talked about there are different tiers of rich. There's comfortable rich, there's privileged rich, and then there's so filthy rich that you can have dinner with the president if you make a phone call. Um, So, yeah, there will be signs. If we win, uh, we might not announce it on the air, uh, certainly, but um, we would say something like, we just talked about uh, the the Weird Al Yankovic movie a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Now here to recap it with us is Weird Al Yankovic. (laughs) Right. It's like filthy, filthy rich. Filthy rich. We're not going to be rich, but uh, it's nice to think about. But uh, anyhow, well, we had a couple of news stories we want to get to before we jump into uh, the meat and potatoes here. Uh, Yeah. First and foremost, uh, speaking of the filthy rich and the dumb shit they do, uh, Elon (laughs) Musk has completed his takeover of Twitter. And not only has Twitter decided that he is going to uh, institute an $8 a month service charge for that little blue check mark to prove you're who you are, which apparently means I can say whoever I am is whoever I am and just throw eight bucks at him and be verified, whatever. But he is now taken to start banning people from the platform who are quote unquote impersonators because a lot of people went on to Twitter with the, who already had their little blue check marks and changed their display name to read Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. The first person that comes up in this article we were talking about, Kathy Griffin, notorious troublemaker Kathy Griffin. Yes, the notorious shit-stirring troublemaker Kathy Griffin, who <laughs> I kind of adore beyond description for a lot of reasons, but uh, this is only one of them. Right. And so, apparently there was a rash of people... Uh, changing the names to Elon Musk and, and throwing out bullshit tweets to kind of stir the pot a little bit. And, to prove uh, to him that the can of worms he opened when he plunked down that much money for this thing is going to be way more trouble than it's worth. Because, I mean, I don't think... It, it, again, like $44 billion, that's the kind of money we were just talking about 30 seconds ago. That is fuck you money. You can buy an entire-ass social media network. You can just buy it if you want to. Burn and it he to bought the it ground. because... Yeah, he, he wanted a sandbox to play in. But, of course, much like anybody who invests heavily in a, a social network and they don't understand the implications of that, um, oh, suddenly content social? moderation is an issue. Oh, good Lord, don't even get me started. But he didn't understand. He, he has opened a can of worms he was never prepared to deal with nor anticipated would be as wriggly as it is. And he's definitely paying the price. I give him less than a year. The over-under on this is, I'm going to say, 8 to 12 months before he seeks to unload controlling interest in this platform because he never 
he's just a rich asshole who wanted a, a toy. Mm-hmm. And then he bought this thing, and he... Uh, instances of the N-word spiked 500 percent the, the day he bought it. Um, everybody from Kathy Griffin to Valerie Bertinelli to Jeff Jacques, who is a webcomics creator, who's the only webcomic I still read is his. I, I love Jeff uh, Jacques. Questionable content. Yep. Yeah. He's great. I used to read a bunch of webcomics. This is the only one I still check in with daily. But they've been um, impersonating Elon Musk on the platform, in some cases with his own $8 checkmark. Or if they're already a celebrity that was verified, they can just change their display name. You can't really change your at too much. But what I love about this is this guy who uh, was on record as saying, Oh, I'm a free speech absolutist. He went in a matter of days from (laughs) comedy is legal on Twitter to I'm going to be banning anybody who impersonates me. And so people have just been, and I actually have a, a, an alt on Twitter that I don't discuss because I like to keep it an alt. Nobody knows it's me. Um, and there are various reasons why I don't want anybody to know it's me because I kind of, I'm not on a Kathy Griffin level. I'm not famous, but I love to stir shit on this account. No. And I, every time he turns around and does something stupid, I kind of take him to the hole on it. Not that anybody's reading it. I only, I only have a couple hundred followers on that account, but, um, and he's certainly not reading it. But you know, I, 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 like I said, I have a couple hundred followers and I've gotten some likes on the things I've said, but... You know, the fact that this guy has gone, again, like in a couple of days from, I'm a free speech absolutist, to, you're banned if you make fun of me. (laughs) What a fucking baby. I just love seeing it. I love seeing people who are so privileged and so rich they can buy whole-ass social platforms just get taken to the fucking dirt every time they turn around, hoisted by their own petard. I, I live for that shit. Speaking of spoiled, rich, entitled asshole man babies... Kanye West, <laughs> Kanye West, has announced oh dear that he is taking a thirty-day sabbatical from speaking, a verbal fast. Uh, um, that guy can't shut up for five minutes. I'll believe it when I see it. That's right. And in fact, I got that from George Takei's uh, uh, Facebook post. He said, uh, 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 "We'll believe it when we hear it, or when we don't hear it." Uh, and I'm kind of in that same boat right there. It's like, uh, yep. I don't think he can go that long. But we'll see. Um, I, I, I'm personally, I'm kind of, I mean, aside from calling him a selfish, entitled, spoiled, rich asshole man baby, I'm kind of... Which uh, he is. He is. He's earned that. Uh, I've been trying to be a bit more gracious with Kanye recently. And I know that's difficult. But I'm really in the position, in the mind frame, in the mindset like Trevor Noah was talking about, is I think he's unmedicated. I think he's unwell, and I yeah, think he, and I he think he needs is. help. And 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 everyone's famous meme right now is, oh, if he was a woman, he'd be under a conservatorship. Yeah, he absolutely yeah, he would. would. That's true. And why he's not? Why someone is not taking the reins and being like, look, buddy, uh, you need help. Uh, yeah. And we need to get yeah. you the help you need. Uh, why nobody has taken him in hand and done that is beyond me. I mean, maybe everyone just likes watching a train wreck. Uh, working in a train well, yard then, myself, I get that. But Anybody who has his ear, <clears throat> anybody who's close enough to Kanye or Ye, you know, we got to respect those identities, so yay. Yeezy. Yeah, anybody who's close enough to him is obviously somebody who is benefiting from his his wealth, there, there's somebody who is in his entourage, right? And it is not in that. That's the sad thing. The guy, you're right. The guy clearly is unmedicated. Clearly, he needs help. But anybody who's close enough to him to suggest that is somebody who directly benefits from him still being out and working. So, people, 
at the end of the day, and I, I, I've, I've thought about this recently due to different circumstances happening in the popular culture, um, people aren't necessarily against you as much as they're for themselves. And I'm somebody who tries really hard to be empathetic, who tries really hard to be generous and kind. I don't always right. get there. I'm human. I understand my failings, and I admit them if they're called to my attention or if I notice them in my own behavior. But I just, you know, people are in it for themselves. And if somebody is close enough to Kanye to be able to suggest, hey, dude, maybe you might want to take it a step back, get some help, you know, go away for a little while, talk to somebody, get, get back on the medication... These are people who it's not in their personal best interest to do that. So it's not going to happen. But again, like you said, like with Amanda Bynes or with Britney Spears, uh, apparently conservatorship is only something that happens to women in this culture. So not only is, is he getting raked over the coals for, uh, for his, his very public anti-Semitism, but I listen to a podcast that is uh, one of my favorites. It's a not, if not a weekly listen. I, I try to catch up at least once a month, and it's The Scathing Atheist. And they kind of cover a lot of, um, you know, religious extremism from the perspective of somebody who's a non-believer. And they were recently talking about, uh, a couple of weeks ago, his Danda Academy, which he established as a school, an uncredited school, right. uh, but one that was apparently centered on whatever passes for Christian-based education now. And the big thing about that that they were talking about was anybody who enrolled their kids in this Danda Academy, which was, again, uncredited and not a real school, but just, you know, Kanye West set up a building and said... You know, bring your kids to it and we'll educate them. Uh, it closed after a couple of months because there was a scandal about it that anybody enrolling their kids in this school had to sign an NDA. Um, and <laughs> I don't know about you, but when you're talking about children, religious education, and you can't talk about it, boy, that opens, again, a, a, a Pandora's thing. box yeah. of problems uh, that uh, I shouldn't have to illustrate for anybody. So, yeah, uh, Kanye... Um, as much as we kind of like talk behind our hands about him and laugh at him because he is an overbloated, egotistical, Machiavellian prick, he also is an overblown, egotistical, Machiavellian prick who just needs to get on some fucking meds already. So we hope he gets the help he needs. You know, I, I can't sit there and say I have sympathy for people who have clear, undiagnosed, and, and, and issue-creating mental illness and not say, hey, I extend that same grace to this guy, no matter how awful he's been. Right. Um, so hopefully, hopefully he gets some help. I hope I hear about that. And, and as clarity, he uh, posted this on his Twitter page. He says, I'm taking a 30-day cleanse, a verbal fast, no alcohol, no adult films, no intercourse. And God we praise, amen. But my Twitter's still lit. So he's, gonna, uh, he's, he's not uh, taking a break from social media. He's just, he's just not talking to anybody for a month. So who knows what this is going to look like. I, I, somebody help him. Somebody please take yeah. him in hand. Because he used to be a very brilliant musician. And he, I think he could yeah. be again. Uh, properly it's medicated. It's still in there. Yeah. So but the other shit that's happening with him is just so dominant. You know, he can't... He has. When's the last time he put out an album? I mean, when's the last time he heard anything musically besides that diss track he threw out at Pete Davidson, which was again a symptom of undiagnosed or untreated mental illness? He did one a couple, like a year and a half or two ago. And it, I mean, it wasn't great. Yeah. I, I didn't really mm. dig it, but I mean, he's never really been my my thing. But uh, we just hope he gets the help he needs. Honestly, that's that's the dream honestly. at this point. So, a couple more little news uh, snippety snippets. Um, we had uh, a celebrity passing uh, this week. Aaron Carter, uh, yeah, uh, who is the brother of Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys, and uh, 
a solo artist of his own regard, child star solo artist, mm-hmm. uh, passed away at age 34. They say he drowned in his tub, which is, for me mm. is all but euphemistically speaking a drug overdose. I mean, he had yeah. notorious issues with drug and, and substance abuse problems, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if that was uh, the... Uh, predictor for this drowning in the tub i mean yeah i mean you don't want to cast dispersions but at the same time the only time you hear about anybody drowning in the tub it's either an unattended infant or it's a uh, a celebrity who was otherwise uh in an altered state of consciousness who managed to slip beneath the surface of the water you don't drown in a bathtub at 34 years old if you're um Healthy. conscious and sober yeah you don't yeah uh so uh, uh i've never been a huge aaron carter fan uh but it always is sad when they go young, and so uh, yeah. we wish we wish you well, dude. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about, you know, when we, when we across the board have this attitude of, if you're having problems, just get the help you need. Yeah. I mean, especially if you and it's easy to say, again, and it must be pointed out that it is a very privileged thing in this culture because I know people who are, you know, uh, who have issues that just don't have the resources, they don't have the insurance, they don't have the money. And it's really sad that we've commodified mental and physical health to that point. But right. we also weren't talking about somebody who didn't have resources. And again, I don't want to say somebody's gone. You don't want to sit there and say, boy, you had money. You should have taken care of your shit. But, you know, the, the at the end of the day, uh, we have lost somebody who was uh, revered and celebrated and talented. And they went too soon. And it, it's going to come out. And again, not that we want to cast aspersions or be shitty about it, but it's Hollywood, and there are patterns that you can recognize if you've been kind of a pop culture junkie as long as we have, and it's it's going to come out, if it hasn't already, that it, it was something that could have been avoided had there only been an intervention or a therapy or a rehab or something, and it's just right. terrible. It's terrible, but it's, it's just the way it's going to go. Um, next little bit of news. Uh, <laughs> I found this one kind of funny. Former MoviePass CEOs have been indicted on <laughs> fraud charges. And these oh, are pr- boy. pretty broad-ranging charges. Now, I used to be a MoviePass subscriber when it first came out. I was working nights, so I had all my days free. So what better way to spend my days than going and checking out movies? And uh, $10 yeah. a month or $12 a month or whatever it was was a, a really uh, a negligible cost to see, you know, four and five and six movies a month. You know what I mean? And, uh, movie pass was never going to work. No, never there was work. there was zero chance that it ever would be profitable, and that's part of the the lawsuits. Uh, two former executives at the company have been indicted on securities fraud charges by the Department of Justice. Uh, I'm reading this now from an article. The indictment was unsealed today, revealed that Theodore Farnsworth, oh my, former chairman of Helios and Matheson Analytics Incorporated slash Movie Pass. Um, and Jay Mitchell Lowe, former CEO of MoviePass, are being charged after allegedly engaged in a scheme to defraud investors through materially false and misleading misrepresentations uh, relating to HMNY and MoviePass's business and operations. Uh, in a statement, Assistant Attorney General Kenneth Polite, what a name, Kenneth Polite, said the department, yeah. together Good with... Name. Our law enforcement partners will hold corrupt C-suites executives who engage in securities fraud accountable for their actions. 
As alleged, the defendants deliberately and publicly engaged in a fraudulent scheme designed to falsely bolster their company's stock prices, added assistant director in charge Mitchell or Michael Driscoll of the FBI New York field office. Attempted scams of this nature erode the public's faith in our financial markets. The FBI is committed to ensuring these types of frauds and swindles are uncovered and the perpetrators are held responsible for their actions in the criminal justice system. Now, according to their press release, Farnsworth and Lowe falsely claimed that the previously used Unlimited plan, which is what I was a member of, Mm. uh, for MoviePass that used to cost less than $10 a month has been quote-unquote tested, sustainable, and would be profitable or break even on subscription fees. It continues that this pair were aware this gimmick, which became the main selling point for MoviePass on the whole, was not sustainable and, quote, was a temporary marketing gimmick to grow new subscribers. And it was never going to be sustainable. The pair also allegedly made claims they were able to generate revenue by analyzing and monetizing the data MoviePass collected from subscribers, with the indictment revealing that they possessed no such capabilities to carry out these claims. And perhaps to cap it all off, and to make many former MoviePass subscribers shout out, I knew it! The Department of Justice indictment reveals that the pair allegedly had MoviePass employees implement numerous tactics to prevent certain subscribers from using their purportedly unlimited service for which they had paid to try and ease MoviePass's cash shortfalls. So both Farnsworth and Laura being charged with one count of securities fraud and three counts of wire fraud, which could face a penalty of up to 20 years in prison per count. Now, you know, one of the other podcasts I listen to that I really love is a podcast called Script Notes, and it's by screenwriters Craig Mazin and John August, who are both fantastic. And MoviePass has been a punching bag for them for fucking years, and rightly so. <laughs> I understand the impetus behind trying to create a MoviePass-like service. Because we live in an era right. of streaming, and so many things are on demand, so if you can pay a flat rate a month and have access to all the entertainment you want, it's basically a brick-and-mortar version of a streaming service. However, yeah. because the overhead of movie theaters is so high, you got to pay people, you got to keep the lights on, you got to... We've famously talked about how... Uh, at movie theater uh, owner conventions, the joke is, yeah, I'm in the candy business. Because if you're going to be playing a Wakanda Forever or a Black Adam, you're not making any money on that. You're paying for the rights to show the movie, and you're making it up in concessions. That's why a bucket of popcorn costs popcorn 15 Popcorn and nachos. Yeah, and... that's why you go and buy a, a, well, yeah. a personal pan pizza that would cost you, you know, $6 anywhere else, and it's 20 bucks at the movie theater, because they got to keep the lights <laughs> on. So... Being able to, right. just the overhead of having a brick-and-mortar business and employees and all of the trappings and machinations that go along with that means that that was never going to work. It's just you can't apply a streaming business model to a brick-and-mortar business. To a certain degree, other places have tried it. Hey, pay us a flat-rate subscription model and have all access to all the stuff you want. I mean, I think I remember there was a reading somewhere even Starbucks was like, you know, pay us 30 bucks a month and flash your card and get a, you know, a drink a day. That kind of thing, whatever it is. But it's just so hard to implement that business model with a, a business that actually has locations. And I think we've proven why that mm-hmm. doesn't work in this instance. It was nice. Uh, the three or four months that it was working, Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, I'm I sure. saw a bunch of movies I wouldn't have otherwise seen, like uh, <clears throat> Shape of Water and things like that. I, really, I watched that one twice. That one was really good. I never saw Fucking Nemo, but um, I heard it was good. <laughs> This Swamp Things thing. <laughs> Good stuff. 
Good stuff. But uh, last little bit of news, and then we're going to move on here. Uh, there was, uh, for one brief shining moment, uh, in this culture of, of oh, we got to remake everything with an all-female cast, they had announced that they were going to do a version of The Expendables with an all-female cast. For those of you all not in the know, The Expendables was that action movie uh, Super Smash Brothers, basically. Mm-hmm. It was... Every action star you've ever fucking seen in a in a movie together with each other, uh, grunting and sweating and accenting and doing whatever they had to do. Jean Claude Van Damme and uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone and Jet Li and all and these Jason guys. Statham, Statham and, 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 yeah. and Bruce Willis and uh, if you if you and I'm sure an they would have gotten star. Momoa and The Rock into it before too long. Oh hell yeah! If you can name an action star that was at all prevalent in the 80s and 90s, they were in this movie in some form right. or another. Right, it's their version of Smash Brothers. Put them all on the screen and watch them go. Yeah. But, uh, so that for a while they were trying to do the same thing, like they did with Ocean's Eleven, and they do with Ghostbusters, and do a female recast. Not a recast, it wasn't a reboot, but it was going to be a female-led version of a, of a action hero super team. And I don't remember if they announced any of the cast for that movie yet, or how far along in development it is, but it's been officially tanked. Yeah. It's done. And, uh... And, and I guess, I don't know if they're saying it was cost-cutting measures or uh, um, or what it is that killed it, but uh, the producer's gone on to explain that uh, it, it's just not happening. What bugs so. me about this is the same thing bugs me about all of it. First and foremost, we, we seem to touch on this pretty frequently. We just did it again last week. But representation matters. And if you're not like yep. a a cis straight white guy you still deserve to see yourself on screen so i am all about like oceans eight and i did see ghostbusters i want these movies to come out rising tide lifts all boats i want them not just to come out but i want them to be good and i want them to do well yeah they don't seem to and a lot of that has to do with the toxic fanboy culture of um you know it's this this isn't for me you know ms marvel and she hulk are the two lowest rated marvel properties just because, I mean, not not even in terms of, like, rating, well, just in terms of ratings. Not even in terms of, like, uh, review scores or whatever. I'm talking just in terms, of they're, they're the least viewed that they have metrics for. I mean, obviously, if it's a movie, you have box office. If it's a streaming thing, you can check out numbers, uh, even if they don't release them. But reportedly, those things just didn't do well. And I, that's because of, it's not because they weren't good. I watched them. I fucking loved them. They were great. But it's just the toxic fandom that will not permit mm-hmm. those things to exist. But the other sort of like side thing that nobody wants to talk about, which is pretty ugly, is that the studios will greenlight these projects and they'll hire heavy hitter dudes like Paul Feig, who who is great with Bridesmaids, who has a very good track record, even though he's a dude, of having these like all-lady casts and making these successful movies out of them. But something seems to go wrong in the execution a lot of the time. I think they think, some of these studios, hey, we're going to put together a a lady-led version of Property X. And... They just don't, it seems, engage in the actual creative process in as good a faith as they could. Because, and this is, again, right. not an indictment. It's, it's like when, anytime you criticize a lady comedian, uh, people are going to come out of the woodwork and say, what, aren't women funny? Fuck, women are fucking hilarious. But there are, you know, you have to judge each individual thing on its own merits. And I, I wanted to like the Ghostbusters reboot, but it just didn't, it wasn't great. It really seems like they create these projects as a way of, like, sort of, 
we need to create this, this, this lady-centered, woman-fronted project, but that's going to be enough to get people out. Anybody who's right. a woman who wants it, to see it feels like or, they're pandering. Yeah, it, yeah. it does. If, if you're a feminist, if you're you know, you're going to come out and see it. So we don't actually have to invest any effort into making sure that it's you know good. Um, so it's sad that they create these projects and then they sort of foist them off into the the crap bucket by just not investing the same amount of time and production value, writing, whatever it is that makes these things kind of go sour in process. Uh, some sometimes are just not as good, and that sucks. I you know because I, Bridesmaids was hilarious. The DNA of having Paul Feig dec- d- d- uh, direct this movie should have made it better, and I actually adore everybody in the cast. I adore everybody in the cast. I, I love uh, Kate McKinnon. Um, you know, uh, Leslie Jones is hilarious. Kristen Wiig, uh, Melissa McCarthy, obviously, you know, uh, just an incredible talent. But something just goes wrong somewhere, and I, I, I am living for the day. And I was kind of—I had heard of this Expenda Bells project. I was hoping that it would not just come out, but also just be an absolute doorbuster. And it, we just have to—we have to make sure that if we're going to be doing these things, we don't kind of make sure that it's easy to damn them with faint praise and say, ha, look, see, we did this, it didn't work, women can't open a movie. We did this and it didn't work, women aren't funny. Screw you. Yes, women-led projects can be awesome, women-led projects can be funny, but we need to not WNBA them. We need to make sure that the audiences are there to invest as much effort and as much passion and as much oomph behind these things to make sure that they can stand up against anything else so that the asshole toxic fanboy jerk-offs can't point to stuff and go hey look see that movie sucked we, we, we just need to stop making movies about women like you said i think they just kind of invest in the idea of it and then be like that's enough yeah yeah that's enough like no, no. You, gotta, you gotta actually follow through bro yeah you do you gotta put just as much push <sighs> behind it as anything you do that has dudes above the title rest in peace expendables yeah you uh we hardly you knew ye. An interesting idea. You were an interesting idea. Um, okay, so Jim, I know uh, this isn't the actual topic of the conversation, but you went this weekend and you went and saw uh, the Kevin Smith's uh, Clerks Three Convenience Tour. Finally, I did, and you know, and, I had uh, I had seen the movie before. Uh, I, I actually saw it the day that it opened on that Tuesday, and then I bought tickets for the Tuesday and Thursday showings of it. I only went the Tuesday because the movie really punched me in the gut. It was really, you know, again, spoiler moratorium's not up on it, but it is a very decisive button on the series uh, that I have loved so much. I loved Clerks 1 is my favorite movie of all time. Clerks 2 is fantastic. Clerks 3 was a very fitting and very definitive end on the series. Um, And, you know, so watching it and saying goodbye to these characters I've loved since I was just out of high school was an emotional experience. And, um... It was really, really great, and I loved it. And, of course, uh, seeing it on the actual convenience tour that you also went to in your neck of the woods and, and, and seeing the man himself, Kevin yep. Smith, come out and actually do a Q&A um, at our... Nah, uh, it's it's more Q&A. And he admits that, and he actually made that point during the thing. <laughs> and the uh, the gal who is his um, <clears throat> his tour manager came out and said, Hey, you know, it's a Q&A, but it's actually more about the A, so keep your questions concise, keep them tight. Because, frankly, we're here to see Kevin. Nobody gives a shit about the Q. And we all laughed but because we, we knew she's right. That's the thing about Kevin Smith that makes him so relatable is the authenticity. There's no glad-handing. There's no PR. You know, you're here to see me. Let's just be honest. You know, you're going to stand in the aisle. You're going to ask your question, but you're here for the answer. 
And uh, in typical Kevin right. Smith fashion, there were probably 15 people lined up in each of the aisles, and they got to maybe five questions. And the first one, boy, was a doozy. Uh, I'm not going to break it down because it will be the rest of the episode. But the first guy in line said, hey, can you talk about the journey of uh, the what was originally intended to be the Clerks 3 that you wrote that you tried to make for the last 10 years? Versus the one we saw on the screen. And Kevin Smith was like, oh boy. And he opened it up and he spent 45 minutes basically telling us the story of what the original Clerks 3 script was. And I really want to see that movie too. Um, I hope he releases it in some form. I hope he makes a graphic novel out of it or does like an animated storyboard short or something. Because I loved the movie that we saw. But the movie that he could have made was going to be just as brilliant. So um, I hope at some point that story in some form, whether it's just a released screenplay or a graphic novel or what have you, sees the light of day because it would have been just as fitting a button on the series. That's all I'll say about it. But the other thing that... The other thing that happened, ancillary apart from the movie, but almost kind of a meta thing, yep. was... This is what we're getting at. Yeah, one of the guys in the uh, uh, the Q&A line said, hey, after the, the, the Q&A here, after the VIP meet and greet afterwards, uh, it was at the Paps Theater in Milwaukee. And directly across from the Paps Theater is one of the coolest bars, not just in Milwaukee, but in the world, and it's called The Safe House. And it is a spy-themed bar that has been open since the heyday of James Bond, which is a a teaser for a future episode. But it's a (laughs) spy-themed bar, and it's so cool. In, In order to get in to this bar, you have to know where it is, first and foremost. It's speakeasy style. Um, there is no facade on the building. Um, there is no outside signage or indication that there's a bar there. Um, it, but it's still one of the, the the most popular bars in Milwaukee. You have to walk down an alleyway. There's a door inset in the wall that's very poorly lit that just has a sign on the outside that says International Exports, established 1967. And you open that door. And you walk in and there's a person, very smartly dressed, sitting at a roll-top desk in a very small room with a bookcase and a bunch of pictures. And then you tell this person, um, they might ask you why you're there, you can tell them why you're there, Um, and then they sort of conspiratorially lean in and say, well, if that's what you're here for, there is the small matter of our password, and you have to know the password. There are two. One will get you in all the time, one changes weekly and comes with a free drink ticket. If you know the password, the person at the desk will hit a hidden button and the bookcase opens and you walk through a dimly lit hallway into the bar. The bar itself is a labyrinthine mess of uh, themed rooms with all kinds of spy memorabilia, some from films, some actual spy memorabilia from history, kind of sprinkled throughout the bar, and that's part of the process. And then when you go to leave, you can't come back in the way you, uh, you, you, you can't leave the way you came in, so you have to discover the exit for yourself, which is always a fun process, watching people uh, engage in that. Of course, there's one big, very clearly labeled exit, because you have to have a fire exit and everything else, but the real exit is as clandestine as the rest of the experience. So... Kevin Smith said from the stage, oh, that's that spy bar. Yeah, maybe I'll go there. So there were a fair number of people from the uh, the, the meet and greet and the, the Clerks 3 screening that came to the bar afterwards and hoping he'd show up. He did not, but no big deal. The bar was still fun anyway. So we had a couple of drinks, met a couple of people who were also at the show and made some friends and had a good time. And then we left and we, we realized as we're sort of leaving downtown Milwaukee... Um, you know, we had a couple of drinks, but we wanted to keep our bar tab kind of low, so we were a little bit thirsty, but because we'd had a couple of drinks, we also had to pee, so we thought, okay, we need to do a little fluid exchange here, put in some beverages, expunge some beverages, <laughs> um, and so I told my GPS... As, as you do, yeah, as you do. I told my GPS to <clears throat> find us the nearest gas station. That was my mistake, because there is a gas station that is between 
downtown Milwaukee and where I need to drive to to go home that I tend to stop at if I'm ever in Milwaukee and on my way home. I, I'll stop there for beverages and, 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 and a whiz break if that's what it comes to. But this bathroom stop was not one that could wait the 10 minutes it would have taken to get there. So we stopped at this gas station and I knew that it's not in the greatest neighborhood. It's in one of the more blighted areas of Milwaukee, which is unfortunate. Every city have any size has them. But I thought, quick in, quick out, pee, grab a Gatorade back on the road. Fate had other plans. Um, because when I walked in, <laughs> when we walked in, uh, Steph and I both made beelines for the bathroom. There was a gentleman at the counter who was possibly intoxicated, but certainly loud. And he was talking kind of loudly to the two gentlemen behind the counter who were enclosed in a bulletproof glass vestibule. Which, you know, if you're at a gas station in a rougher area... Should be your first fucking that clue. That should be your first fucking clue. So this guy said, hey man, where are you coming from? And I was like, oh, you know, here and there. He's like, man, you got some long hair. And I'm like, yeah, and I like your locks, man. You know, I don't have as much on the top as you do, which is why the hat. And he laughs and I laugh and I go in the bathroom. In the maybe, you know, minute and a half it takes me to pee and wash my hands. I hear commotion from outside, and I'm thinking, that's never a good thing to hear. It's muffled because I'm a little bit far away from the actual action area, and I'm hearing things kind of filter through a door. I open the door, and there is a lot of screaming and a lot of swearing and some slurs going back and forth uh, because the man on the outside of the glass was a man of color, and the man on the other side of the glass, two men, um, were also of Middle Eastern descent. And so there were some slurs, mostly traveling in the direction of the man on the outside of the glass, because I really couldn't hear very well from the other side. But as a business owner, it's not good to insult your customers. I, I honestly didn't hear that, but I immediately was like, uh-oh, something's going down. Um, there were some things thrown around. There was a, a, a beer that was taken out of the counter and smashed on the ground, and, and there was some pounding on the glass happening and some swearing, because apparently there was something the man on the other side of the glass wanted that they were either out of or not willing to sell to him. I was not paying that close of attention, honestly. So what I did was I thought, well, finish the mission, go and get something to drink. Steph's still in the bathroom, and I'm kind of hoping she hears what's happening better than I do and stays in there. Um, so I'm looking at the drinks, and Steph comes out, and she looks at me with concern, and what the hell is going on? In the interim, this guy is outside now. He's either been taken outside by a man who I thought was a security guard outside. He's wearing a reflective vest, working the door, so to speak. And the customer is on the outside of the store, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs and pounding as hard as he can on the glass to the point where I thought it was going to break. So I got real in interested in the chips and started paying attention to the beverages in a, on a level that I ordinarily wouldn't. And so... These are great. These look great. I'm going to read all the packages. Oh, yeah. I'm going to... Oh, look, riboflavin. I haven't had that in a while. Sounds delicious. So, um, I'm speaking in a sort of sotto voce thing to staff trying to catch up on what's going on, and this guy's just pounding on the glass. Plus, he's stalking the parking lot back and forth, looking in the... demanding to be let back in the store. So, I think to myself, well, I came in here thirsty, so I'm... You know, we, we killed as much time as we could being fascinated by chips. This guy's still outside, screaming and banging on the glass. So we did go to the front counter and bought our beverages. And the guy behind the counter said, did you want to leave? And Because uh, I can let you out. And I thought to myself, <laughs> "Oh hell no!" well, first of all, that's not safe for you because this dude could bum rush the door if he sees us walking towards it, which he'd be able to because it's very well lit in there. And if he sees us walking towards the door, he'll probably follow suit and want to barge back in. So that's not safe for you. Second, it's not safe for us. This man's very agitated. And at this point, we weren't sure what the depth of the situation was. 
But we thought, no, we'll just go ahead and cool it for a minute and, and see if he moves on and, and gets on with the rest of his life. So we moved towards the back of the store, as far back as we can go. Where we, we still have a, a view of the front of the store, so we can kind of clock when this guy's going to the fuck off and let us leave. He does not. He's, at this point, recruited some friends, uh, at least one other guy, and they're all sort of pounding on the glass and staring in the glass and demanding to be let in the store. Meanwhile, other customers are coming up to the door, and bang, they're, they're, they're pulling on the knob and trying to get in, and they're being turned away because they can't get in the store. So essentially, we're hostages in the store. And so at some point, the, the two gentlemen behind the counter, one of them opens the door that, to the vestibule and says, you know, if you guys can go if you want. And Steph says, is that guy still out there? And he said, yes. And she said, well, that doesn't seem safe. Did, did he threaten you? Did he have a weapon of any kind? And the man behind the counter said, yes, he showed us a pocket full of bullets and he also flashed us a gun. So at this point, we're like, oh, and you were just going to let us walk out in the parking lot. Yeah, fuck that in the nostril. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to wait for the cops. <laughs> you called the cops, right? And the guy says, no, we didn't call the police. Now, look, I have a very complicated relationship with the constabulary. Law enforcement has some issues in this country right now that I don't have to go into. But my dad was a cop for 30 years, so I have complicated feelings about it. On the one hand, I know my dad to have been a man of honor and really believing in the serve and protect thing, but I also understand that policing in this country is in a state. And I understand that it's got a problematic history and a poor reputation, and maybe it makes me a hypocrite to be sitting here talking about we need police reform, but as soon as I'm fearing for my life, I'm going to hop on the phone and call 911. So Steph gets her phone out and she makes the call, but we quickly realize that I'm a lot more familiar with Milwaukee and I, I'm trying to figure out the cross streets where we are based on memory or based on GPS. And so Steph hands me the phone and I speak to the uh, 911 dispatcher. Give her the regrettable uh, uh, description of the, the person who's in the parking lot, which again, is, is, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but you know, you say black male, maybe late twenties, early thirties, evidently, according to some other witnesses, has a weapon, is stalking the parking lot, making it difficult for us to leave. Can we please get some help over here? Um, and to the credit of the Milwaukee police department, which has again been sort of raked over the coals recently because of the Dahmer thing being so popular on Netflix and them fucking up so bad in the nineties. Um, to their credit, four squad cars pull up in about five minutes and six cops come streaming into the store. Um, we talk to them. We let them know what happened. The gentlemen behind the counter give their version of the story as well. And the police are have their, 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 you know, they're writing down stuff on their, their pads of paper and kind of cycling between looking out the parking lot to make sure that there's nothing happening out there, taking statements from all of us in the store, and trying to figure things out. But elapsed time from, this will be a quick two-minute trip to run in and pee and get a Gatorade and then run back out. We're, we're talking, we're up to about a half an hour, 40 minutes at this point. Um, by the time the squad cars pull up, obviously, the complicated relationship between, you know, uh, certain neighborhoods that are disadvantaged and the constabulatory is not a good one. We're not sure at what point these gentlemen buggered off from the parking lot. Maybe they saw the red lights coming up from the highway. We're not sure because we were just off a highway spur. We don't know. But sometime between us, you know, alerting the uh, the authorities that there was problems in the parking lot and the authorities actually showing up in full force, these guys are no longer an issue. But, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we'd be able to get out safely. So the, the button on the whole thing is the, the meta experience of us um, 
having a convenience store experience that that could have been very unfortunate immediately after watching Clerks three, uh, was the irony was not lost on us. But the the uh, denouement to the story is, you know, as problematic as policing is in this country, uh, I'll do credit to the MPD because they were there within minutes of us calling them when we felt our safety was at risk, and um, they helped us to get home safely uh, in a night when things could have gone very badly had things taken a zig when they actually zagged and gone in a different direction. So, I, you know, I, I'm forever in my life personally re-examining how I feel about the police. Do I feel as though there need to be reforms happening in, in policing in this, in this country? Obviously there are. Um, do I understand that I am operating from a very privileged position as a white person who decides they're going to call the cops on people of color when I, I happen to have lots of examples in the news of what happens when, you know, police show up and there might be a person of color with a gun that could end very badly for everybody. I was very cognizant of that, but I also didn't really have a whole lot of choice. Neither one of us did. If we wanted to make sure that we could leave safely and get home in a reasonable amount of time with, uh, you know, no fresh apertures in our bodies. Um, and again, I'm not casting aspersions on the guy in the parking lot, but he could have been inebriated, he could have been intoxicated, he could have been in an altered state, we don't know. But he was definitely very angry, and according to the guys behind the counter, he definitely had a weapon. And I don't care who you are, if there's somebody who's angry in your vicinity and they have a weapon, that's also a reality you need to worry about in America. So, you know, all things being equal, it ended fine, um, and in this instance, uh, the, the, the police were disgustingly professional, and everything went well. Um, it could have gone another way for us, for them, for the guys in the parking lot, for the gentleman behind the counter. Any number of things could have gone wrong, but in this instance, the, the, the process of the machine operated exactly as intended and everybody was safe. For now. You know, we'll see what happens in the future, but as things are, that was my personal experience of, uh, of being held hostage at a convenience store. And um, Steph and I made it home safe after that. We both were hostages in there, and it was not our intention to become hostages. But that's what happened to us, and um, that's the thing that went down. Well, I, for one, am happy that you and Steph are safe. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> that, that is a terrifying thing to have happen. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know quite how I'd have handled it, but... Uh... Uh, so that's why we kind of held off on, hey, Jim, how's your weekend? Because, wow, what a story. Yeah, things were a little nuts. And uh, things were a little nuts, yeah. Um, that being said, we are going to get to our topic, but I do want to make an announcement. First and foremost, we've been teasing this for weeks. It's a big one. Now we can finally make this announcement. This episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Exter. Exter is a wallet company that I discovered while doing a little surfy surfy on the internet. Um, we, we, we've been looking for people to partner with that uh, make a product that we would use. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked at length about the fact that there are uh, certain things that we won't advertise, certain things that we don't want to be involved with. We're not going to be pimping Raid Shadow Legends. We're not going to be, hey, have you checked out stamps.com? I mean, that's not stuff that we would use. That's not stuff right. that we would do. And I've personally been uh, screwed but, over by HelloFresh, so those guys will never be in a sponsor on any podcast we do. <laughs> right, but uh, I, I discovered uh, Exter uh, uh, through uh, some searching because I was looking for uh, ideas for a new wallet. Uh, I have recently, very recently, switched, uh, probably within the last uh, six to eight months, uh, switched to a front pocket wallet because I sit all day my job is is i drive for a living yeah um so i sit all day and sitting on a wallet like i have for the last 44 years 
is really detrimental to your spine. My so, chiropractor uh, was so mad at me that I sat on my wallet for as long <laughs> as I did. Right, and and it's something that I'd look to alleviate. And uh, in, in addition, I was trying to go through a process of eliminating carrying all these different things with me in my pockets. Uh, and so, like, I, I got a really cool belt. I call it my bat belt. And uh, you can just buckle it and unbuckle it with a snap, kind of like a, a seat belt almost. And uh, uh, so I keep a little fob uh, container there that holds my key fob, and I keep another container that holds the rest of my keys, and uh, kind of like a little bat pockets on the bat belt. And then, uh, so the next thing to change was my wallet. And uh, so I was looking uh, all over uh, for a front pocket wallet, and there's some really uh, popular ones that are out there that I'm not really, I don't really grok to, like the solid you know, chunk of metal in your pocket or things like that. Yeah, nah, no pass. So I discovered this company, Exter, uh, doing some uh, review searching and Google searching, and their products are very, very well reviewed. And uh, one of the key features that they have is uh, they've got a quick uh, release trigger on their wallets where you push the button and it arrays the cards in their card slot um, like like you're holding out a deck of cards, a pick of cards, you yeah, know? it fans them and, out in uh, like a, a cascading uh, ziggurat, almost. A, a waterfall of cards that, that come out and, and, and present themselves to you with the push of a button. And uh, that's the kind of trick stuff that I'm really into. I really dig stuff with a little gimmick, a little, yeah. a little flash. And, it's the kind of and, thing where if you pull, like, it, <clears throat> you pull it out and somebody's going to say, hey, that's really cool. You know, if you pull it out and push yeah. the button and click, your cards kind of pop out in a cascading fan. It's just, it looks neat and it works really, really well. And it's super, super easy to use. And, 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 and so we'll get into that here in a second. But so what we did is uh, Jim's a copywriter by, by trade. And so I said, hey, Jim, use your fancy words and, and email this company and, and find out if they want to do a partnership with us and, 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 uh, and, and all that. And, and we sent out an email and it took a few months. It got trapped in their spam filter. Uh, <laughs> and, I'm, and at that point, I mean, we've sent out dozens of emails and we've gotten nothing back. So it's just like, all right, so they didn't email back, whatever. Um, but they finally emailed back going, Hey, sorry about that. And, 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 you know, we'd love to work with you. And, and so we got super excited and, and, and we, we chose the wallets that we chose. And, uh, I, myself, I chose, uh, what they call their, uh, parliament wallet. It's, uh, the aluminum card holder and it comes with, uh, this, this wonderful leather wrap around, uh, case for it. Uh, and I got this really cool green. I really like this, this, I don't know, I don't think it's like sage green, but I really dig the green. Yeah, I got what they and call the, the Napa Black. Too, didn't you? Yeah, I got the Parliament Wallet as well. Yeah. It's a Napa Black. It's, it's, a, it's a very, it's, it's around the dimensions, at least in the, the length and width of a deck of cards, but much slimmer. And it's made from this buttery leather, which again, I, you know, I, I'm not just kissing right. their butt because they're a sponsor. This is really, this is, I had had a wallet for a long time that I bought in my 20s at Hot Topic. And this thing was a tank. It held up really well, but it was starting to get a little threadbare around the corners. And I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's a dad wallet. I've got every piece of paper under the sun <laughs> stuffed into it. And like you, my chiropractor was really salty me about it. So I thought I got to get minimalist. I got to break this down and break down to just the essentials. So this is a bifold wallet. And it's got a space to put some cards in, or if you've got some, uh, like a driver's license or some other, like, you know, cards or whatever. And then there's a, uh, a, a small um, uh, elastic part to, to put some, some bills in. But uh, like Saint said here, the, uh, the really, really cool part is this almost like switchblade kind of, uh, I'm going to hold it up to the, the microphone here and go. 
yeah, you push that button and those cards <laughs> just fan out. And it's just super cool. And it's the form factor of it is really slim. It feels great. It works exactly as advertised. And, and there's room for everything yeah. you really, really need in a wallet without, you know, having to uh, to pack a bunch of BS into it. So, my, yeah, I got the Parliament wallet also. And it's um, in Napa Black. And it's just... It's just one of the coolest little pieces of kit, a little personal accessory that I've that I've ever yeah, discovered. Yeah, for sure. And and I really like the fact, like you said, it, it really forces you to uh, because it is a minimalist wallet. Yeah. And, and what they're trying to do is break the cycle of having this huge, fat thing. First of all, that you sit on because it's bad for your back, but second of all, that you that I mean, a big fat dad wallet wouldn't fit in your front pocket. Right. And since you're not supposed to be sitting on your wallet then the only other logical place for it is either in your front pocket or in a fanny pack. And good Lord, why are fanny packs back? I don't understand why that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, or what are they called? They're not called fanny packs now. They're calling them uh, something. They kind of, they try to zhuzh up the name. A fanny pack by any other so. name would still be just as ridiculous. I agree. And so, um, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's a beautiful piece. It, it's small, like you said, smaller than a deck of cards, or right around the size of a deck of cards, but thinner. Uh, and then they they've got these wonderful uh, tracker uh, cards that are super thin that fit right into the wallet, and uh, it gives you an app that you can uh, locate your wallet on your phone. Yeah, a GPS enables it. You can lowjack your wallet. Right. How cool is that? Right. Or you can lowjack your phone because it does it works in reverse too. Yeah. You can push the button on if you lose your phone. You push the button on the wallet and. Or on the card, and it, and it tracks your phone. It's a little so, solar-powered, yeah. solar-recharge. Uh, you get about three months out of a charge, and it's about the size of a credit card. Fits in your wallet, fits in your phone case. And if you lose anything mm-hmm. that can fit in your pocket, you can put this thing into it, and you're not going to lose it again. Right. And so, uh, again, we want to make sure we make sure we announce the name of the company is Exter, E-K-S-T-E-R. And uh, they are just, they've been fantastic to work with so far. We're extremely proud to carry their products at this point. Again, I can't specify this enough. I would not be selling advertising for anything I didn't personally believe in. Yeah. That's just the way I roll. I don't need money that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and as another personal anecdote that ties into this, uh, the extra wallet in the around week that I've been using it has already kind of saved my life a little bit and this is no exaggeration i'm not just blowing smoke up the butt of the sponsor this actually happened um leaving clerks three the other day um i had to park in a parking garage near the theater in downtown milwaukee and we ran across the street to the bar and had a couple of drinks and uh again not that i was unsafe to drive i had had the last drink about two hours earlier but i uh we went to go to the parking garage to get our car out and I pushed the fancy button on the uh, the exterior parliament wallet, and bleep, my cards popped out. And immediately I noticed, Swing. there's one missing. And I looked and I thought, it's my Discover card. I haven't used that in a minute. Don't remember the last time I did use it, but that card is... Mi- there are six cards in this wallet. When I popped out the... the hit the button to, to fan the cards out, there are only five in there. And I thought, well, that's less than ideal. So... Very quickly, I realized it was my Discover card. I pulled out my Discover app, hit a couple of buttons, reported the card lost or stolen immediately because I couldn't remember the last time I had it. And while once that process was complete, I pulled up the uh, the actual trans- transaction record on the app and realized I had last used the card at a restaurant two or three days ago. Now, it's a very reputable, large restaurant, but it's a good maybe hour away from where we were. And I thought, well, then it's safe at least. They're probably holding it in a bin or something in case I come back for it, which I will not do now because obviously I've invalidated the card. But... Uh, popping out the cards and seeing 
immediately at a glance that there was one missing, allowed me to report a card lost or stolen that I had abandoned at a restaurant. So not only is this wallet awesome, it works really well, it looks great, this leather is like butter, but it also saved my life. So <laughs> I personally, like you said, would not be stumping a product I wouldn't use myself and don't use myself. This wallet is beyond it fits the bill it's, it's, it, it fits it fits the bills it's fantastic so um <laughs> i didn't even do that on purpose yeah so if if you would like one of these wallets and believe me you really do uh, you'd love one of these things go to extra.com e-k-s-t-e-r.com and you can use promo code fandom f-a-n-d-o-m that's our promo code for the fuel your fandom podcast and you can get 10 percent off your wallet and uh, or any personal accessory and that's, that's on that's on top of the of the wonderful sales that they're having right yeah. now because dudes as as we speak as this podcast goes live we're one day into their black friday sale which gives you sale points of 35 to 40% off their normal prices anyways and so throw code fandom in at checkout and that gives you that extra 10% that's you can't beat that with a stick. And look, the nice folks at Extra sent us some wallets, and they're fantastic wallets, but they have other things on their website, too. They have um, card holders that are uh, aluminum, uh, that kind of, uh, that they, they're not the wallet style. They have the, the functionality of the push-button wallet uh, thing that the uh, the Parliament wallets have, but it's just for credit cards. Um, they have those as well. They have the, the tracker cards there. They have all kinds of personal accessories, overnight bags, a, a whole wonderful range of things. And, and um, again, like we're not saying this because we're partnering with them. We're saying this because these things are fantastic of their own merit. Definitely yeah. check them out. Go to extra.com. Uh, use uh, promo code FANDOM to get 10% off your order. And definitely check out those Black Friday sales that are starting tomorrow as we record this. Um, but we're going uh, to be partnering with these guys for a while because they've been very good to us. And they just plain make a yeah. fantastic product. Absolutely, and and I'm I mean I'm sold on it. And like I said, I, I went out of my way to look for for a, a neat trick wallet that's just it looks fancy, it feels great, it functions amazing. I've it's already just, gotten comments on how cool it is. I go to pay for something, and those cards oh, go yeah. snap and pop out of there, and people are like, "Well, that's cool. What's that?" So I've actually mentioned extra to people out yeah. in the wild in my neck of the woods, and, and it's just so <laughs> Same. yeah. So we're doing that again. Yeah, I did that to the, uh, the guy at the Safeway the other day. He's like, "Oh, that's neat," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's pretty badass." And I told him where I got it, and, and they were really into it. So, but uh, once again, that is Exter E K S T E R dot com, and then use our code Fandom at checkout. F A N D O M. If you don't know how to spell Fandom, I can't help you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, tell them the boys from the Feel Your Fandom podcast sent you. And thanks to Exter for being a sponsor. Of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So, what we want to talk about for the remainder of today, we can't just gripe and complain about everything the whole time, so uh, we'll throw a little sprinkling of a topic in here. Today I wanted to talk about, uh, not so celebrities that are beloved, because most of these are played by rather beloved character actors and, and whatnot, but uh, uh, characters that are beloved for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Characters that are, are admired that are really kind of not great people, if you want to know. Uh, and and I, I come across a list uh, the other day that I sent Jim, and I'm like, yeah, this is just, this is an interesting topic, and we can we can talk about the ones on this list. We can wax uh, further onto that as we, as we come across them, because there's some of these characters I'm not really into, I don't know a lot about. But uh, uh, popular TV characters that are actually awful. Yeah, yeah. And first and 
First and foremost on the list uh, is Ross Geller from Friends. Now, my experience with Friends is rather limited. Uh, I catch a rerun here or there, uh, but as I don't watch live TV, it's kind of random and rare. Uh, like maybe if like I, I, I the last couple times I've seen it has been at my my guitar player's house. It's been on his TV. But like we talked about I'm with Star so Wars bad. last week, uh, Friends is just one of those pop culture touchstone things that everybody has an opinion on because it's pervasive enough right. in the culture that pretty much everybody's seen something about it or seen a couple of episodes at some point. Either you're a devoted watcher who is a fan, you've caught up with it on streaming, or you watch it if it's on in the background or whatever. Nobody hasn't seen an episode of Friends for the most part. Right. So I'm going to read directly from the article uh, the character descriptions that they've got here. And, and we'll start with Ross. Uh, it says, Ah, Ross, who doesn't love an emotionally stunted man who never really moved past high school and is desperate for love? His obsession with Rachel is a bit creepy. He pines for her in high school to the point he sets up a secret I hate Rachel club because she doesn't want to date him. Then, when he finally does get the chance to be with her, he treats her horribly. Not only does he screw up his relationship with her, but in all of his romantic arcs, he never once seems to accept any part of the blame. Aside from his total lack of accountability in his romantic pursuits, he's also just a bad friend. Whenever he's in the room, the conversation seems to shift to his problems and his life. Let's be honest, that kind of person is exhausting. If he seems to be at odd, the odd one out, it's probably because Chandler and Joey realized he was better in small doses. And that is absolutely true. So again, like I said, I don't know shit about shit as it comes to friends. I mean, I've seen enough to know I'm, it's not for me. Um, I've seen enough. But you're right. Uh, David Schwimmer's character, Ross Geller, is pretty horrible. And, and, and just in the fact that, I mean, he had a yeah. pet monkey. He abandoned a pet monkey. He had a son. He basically lost custody of the son. Just because of his weird fucking lifestyle, this weird way he chooses to live, and yeah, and just he had a trans dad who he wouldn't accept the gender identity of, and he had a lesbian ex who he kept on trying to get right. to come back to him. I mean, by the standards of the era, that stuff was played for laughs, and I understand that life has changed in the last you know couple of decades, but even at the time, even at the time, the dude was whiny and bitchy and problematic enough that. Nobody would want to actually be friends. Now, I'm sure with this David Schwimmer is a lovely, a lovely person. I'm sure he is. I, I By all accounts, he is negative yeah. about him. Can't say the same thing about Mr. Chandler Bing, but Matthew Perry's had a. Mm, yeah, he's a been in the news thing. lately. But uh, how do you not like Keanu Reeves? I don't get that. If you don't like Keanu Reeves, <laughs> you're the problem. So Ross Geller, our first, uh, our first friend. Here talking about uh, uh, characters that are secretly terrible. Do you want to read the second one? Sure. Uh, an equally popular series that's been very enduring and had legs way past oh, yeah. its original run, and in some cases, um, uh, doing better than its original run on streaming to the point where there was kind of a bidding war over it uh, between streaming platforms. The, the Office. Office. Um, yeah, and the character in question, of course, Michael Scott, the the main chief character of the show for at least the first Seven. bunch of seasons. Yeah. Steve Carell never won. Yeah, and this is quoting again from the Ranker article that we uh, were using as reference for this episode. Steve Carell never won an Emmy for playing Michael Scott, which feels wrong on so many levels. 
but is a true cosmic injustice given just how much heavy lifting Carell did to make Michael Scott lovable. And Michael is lovable, I know. He means well, he's earnest, and he's capable of profound sweetness here and there, but by the time Michael moseys on from Dunder Mifflin seven seasons in, it's an emotional loss that hits every viewer hard, even this one. It wasn't the loss of Michael that the show never recovered from, however. For all his lovable qualities, Michael's also completely mm-hmm. insufferable. He's vain, he's petty, he's impulsive, he's stupid. He'd be annoying just to know as a person, but imagine having him as your boss. Well, as a personal side, some of us don't need to imagine we've had bosses that are that bad. As a boss, he's a five-alarm fire. He regularly crosses serious lines accidentally and entirely on purpose. He's self-involved and oblivious, smiling innocently even as he leaves a wake of destruction, whether he's running Meredith over, ruining Phyllis's wedding, or peering out at Ryan from behind the blinds in his office. And... Scene. Yeah, Michael Scott, absolute fucking train wreck. I mean, he's a sexual harasser. He is a inadvertent mm-hmm. racist. Um, and having this guy for a boss being as unpredictable... He means well, which is what makes him such an enduring and endearing character. Uh, his intentions are always, for the most part, pure, even if he completely cocks it Scott's tots. And that's what makes it... Oh my god, yeah, and the whole, like, diversity <laughs> training episode where he manages to stumble into every ugly gender yep. or racial stereotype that exists. Um, yeah, he, he means well, but he just can't quite get it together. But his chipper optimism, even in the face of, yeah, I dropped the ball on this, but you know what? It's really okay. It just makes him relatable. And again, like I said, we've all had that boss. So, yeah, Michael Scott will be terrible to know, but he's awfully fun to watch. Yeah, and of course, we have to make sure we point out Steve Carell's a lovely human being. I love everything about that guy. I remember seeing a meme recently that said, hey, if we're going to make Karen shorthand for awful, terrible, entitled woman, then we need to make Steve shorthand for a wholesome person. Because honestly, let's look at Steve Carell. Let's look at Steve Irwin. You know, um, let's look at Steve Rogers. I mean, Steve as a name is kind of shorthand for this person is just going to be wholesome. Whereas Michael Scott is not. And uh, no, you're right. Absolute train wreck of a boss. And and he's kind of like they show him to be kind of an idiot savant of the office. So it's like he does manage. And and the game, the the, the little app game that they have is called Somehow We Manage. And I figured that's a perfect... uh, uh, tagline for Michael Scott. Yeah. Somehow he manages to keep Scranton Dunder Mifflin open as long as he did. And, uh, okay. The next character, Fred Flintstone. Yabba Dabba Doodoo Head. Reading from the Rank article again, it says While many kids of the 60s and 70s spewed their breakfast cereal excitedly while cheering Yabba Dabba Doo with Fred Flintstone. A few are instead muttering, Yabba Dabba Don't. Despite his genuine love for his family, his loyalty to his job at Slate Rock and Gravel Company, and his kick-ass talent for bowling, Just keep your eye on the ball, Bonnie boy. Fred wasn't exactly the most endearing character. His boorish eating habits put King Henry VIII to shame, his raucous voice was about as opposite from ASMR as it gets, and he had... Barney! <laughs> he did that pretty well. Uh, he had a penchant for gambling and lying to Wilma about it, and it didn't take much to set off the hair trigger that kept his volatile temper in check. Besides being a glutton, a loudmouth, a spendthrift, and a hothead, he's also rather sexist. Granted, Fred was a product of his time, just like many mid-20th century men in real life, However, sometimes this so-called protagonist took things too far. 
Remember 1962's The Happy Household episode, where Wilma achieves her dream of being a TV show host, only to have Fred sabotage her career because he's pissed she hasn't been home to prepare his dinner. Cook your own Brano burgers, you bully. Amen. I'd say that's a pretty easy get. I mean, Fred Flintstone, Yep. he's just kind of, like you said, a product of his time. Very much designed after the yeah. Ralph Cramden type of Honeymooners character, uh, which is oh, big very time. famously designed after Ralph Cramden. But uh, just, I mean, uh, not a real relatable person this far. I mean, maybe back then he was more relatable, you know, being in a lodge and going bowling every week and and, and hanging out with the dudes and... But really, that doesn't mesh up with anything we have now. I mean, and it shouldn't, for many reasons, mesh up with what we have now. It's hard to like a character that's, like they said, boorish like that. Just rather, it's kind of one-trick pony, kind of one note. He never really breaks out of that. Sure, he's got his lovable side, but, I mean, it's really always just overshadowed by this just buffoonery. He's hard to root for. He's abusive. He's a, he's abusive to his wife, as they gave the example here. And, you know, yeah, you're, you've achieved your dream of being a TV host, but uh, he's also abusive to his buddy Barney, who is the sort of Art Carney slash Ed Norton, not the Edward Norton, obviously, which gets confusing. But the the the, uh, the, 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 the XP or the parody of that, Fred's just a dick. And, you know, that's kind of, again, central to his character. I mean, whether he's screaming at his wife or beating on his buddy... Um, but it is important to remember, as this article points out, that he was a product of his time, his environment. And I don't mean the Stone Age, uh, because they are the modern Stone Age family. But um, he, he sort of was the, the 60s version of what we would now term to be toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the head of the household, who was entitled, thought that they, when he comes home from his work at the gravel pit, he deserves to have dinner on the table and no lip from Wilma. And it's just, yeah, looking back on it now, it's super problematic. And at the time, even, it was just he was just a bad person. But, I mean, he had his moments, but uh, for the most part, I mean, the thing you remember about him is the yelling and the, and the beating and the, the screaming and the, his, his proclivity for flying off in a fits of rage. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, as a character, Fred Flintstone, just not somebody you should really necessarily look up to all that hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to relate to someone uh, like that now, you know what I mean? Yeah, and next up on the list is another character from The Office. Um, which surprising, you think that in, in a, a sort of dysfunctional family of coworkers, uh, we've already called out, and that's why he's higher on the list, Michael Scott. We've called out the most problematic character on the show, but another more, more beloved character on the show that this article kind of makes a very convincing case for. You might not consider if you didn't hear it, Jim Halpert. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the John Krasinski character, Jim Halpert. Jim Halpert. I'm reading from the article now. Jim Halpert was a bully hiding behind a. F- a sloppy shirt, messy hair, and a casual demeanor that masquerades as workplace camaraderie. Truth be told, he made every day a nightmare for most everyone except for the ladies who crushed on him and the guy who thought he was cool. Yes, Dwight might have been an insufferable bore who took workplace rules a bit too seriously, but did that necessitate endless tormenting day in and day out? Perhaps Michael Scott needed to be demoted to the sales floor, but instead he was needled and prodded into doing an awful job for which he was usually humiliated, all for Jim's amusement. And those are just the people he used on a daily basis, for Jim has a trail of victims who fell for his nice guy act, people who he used and abused like so much trash. Think of poor Roy, whose life went to hell after Jim stole his fiancée, or Karen, 
As soon as Pam became available, Jim abandoned her completely, and what of Pam, the love of his life? In the episode The Dinner Party, famous episode, one of my favorites, he was going to ditch her at the first opportunity before she was able to outsmart him and keep him in tow. Jim has proved again and again to be untrustworthy, even to those he claims to adore. Jim is not a nice guy, and as the years go by, the facade of his false humor slowly slips away. And it's only a matter of time because nothing is left of the nice guy at all. Very salient points, all of that. Which, again, does not speak to the actor because John Krasinski is a fantastic human being. I love that guy. I, I love the everything guy. Everything about him I love. Yeah. And, in fact, it's, it's, the article is absolutely correct. Uh, you, you root for Jim Halpert. You find it funny. You know, oh, we want to pick on Dwight. We want to, you know, we laugh at all of the antics and laugh at all the pranks and, and everything. And, and we're supposed to. That's, that's the target. He's the, he's the butt of the joke. But... But Jim is the one we're meant to sympathize with and relate to as the as the quasi protagonist. Every man, well, you see what I did there. Huh? The normal one, right. the only sane man in a group of lunatics in this office. Right. And, and they're absolutely right. He's a selfish kind of prick. And and and, and there's yeah, a, there's a, a lot of websites out there that break down him and Pam being just kind of the most awful people. And uh, and and it's a lot of it is for exactly what they said: torturing poor Dwight and and and. And using everyone around them for their own benefit and their own amusement, and it's like, and these are these are, and his romantic escapades. Yeah. I mean, between ditching Karen, the Rashida Jones character, and uh, pursuing Pam, even though she was Taken. Uh, uh, engaged yeah. at the start of the show, and and um, yeah, unhappily, the show definitely makes the case that she was not necessarily you know pleased with that relationship because Roy was not much better. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, he, he did do all those things. He was super manipulative. He, he kind of hid behind this aw shucks, shrugging, mugging to the camera kind of nice guy thing. But if you really break down his stuff, the dude was not all that awesome. Yeah. And it really started showing through in the last couple of seasons when he was trying to do the whole... The mask really slipped, yeah. yeah. The whole uh, sports thing. And and he just kind of... You kind of get to see how selfish he really kind of was. and. Now thinking of only of himself, yeah. and and not and even with Pam was getting pushed by the wayside. Pam was almost driven to cheat, and and yeah, it's it's really kind of ugly. And and I'm a huge fan of The Office. I really am. I've watched through the series, the entire series, like a number of times. It's it's good, you know, background noise, popcorn fare, kind of like people do with Seinfeld and whatnot, and Friends, and and right. uh, so I mean, I really enjoy. It, it holds up to repeat viewings, but it is it is a comfort TV yes. show. But the only decent characters on that whole show, the only people with, with uh, uh, good hearts, I'm going to say, are like Pam and Oscar. That's pretty much it. Everybody else has a, uh, a dark side and a manipulative edge, or, or they're Creed and they're sociopaths, <laughs> or they're Toby oh, and they're just sort of like, you know, sad sacks who couldn't, you know, raise enthusiasm about anything at gunpoint. I mean, they're just, they're all awful people, which makes them fun to watch, but... Pam and Oscar are the only people on that entire show who, who, to my knowledge and my recollection, never really did anything that made me go, oh man, really? Eh, I don't know, Pam kind of gets into some gray territory with me, but that's probably through her association. That's another episode. Jim, but, uh... We're going to have to listen back to this and take some notes because we're tossing out all these ideas for other things we want to do. and we'll have to. I'm surprised we haven't gotten to the office yet either. We will. The well, next, it's the, the next uh, character we got here. Now we're not, like I said, we're not going to do every character on this list, but the first, we're coming out the gate pretty strong on these ones. So, and this is a show that I really enjoyed back in its time. I really watched it. It's Vic Mackey from The Shield. 
Mm-hmm. Quote the article again. We got Vic Mackey from The Shield, although it's not so much a matter of character, but of performance. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I'm going to pause in reading this here. This is uh, pretty much this guy's opinion, this article writer's opinion. Uh, not necessarily my opinion. I'm just reading it for reading its sake, and then we can discuss it afterwards. But this is this guy's yeah. opinion, and it says... Uh, Vic Mackey from The Shield, although it's not so much a matter of character but of performance, Michael Chiklis was inexplicably showered with accolades for his portrayal, which isn't bad per se, just a pale, corny imitation of the many other morally ambiguous anti-heroes that defined the rise of the quote-unquote prestige TV era. Uh, Thought experiment. Imagine Dean Norris, who played Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad, as Vic Mackey and said... Doesn't the Chickless version seem embarrassing by uh, admittedly hypothetical comparison? Norris, all five foot seven of him, is an overpower <laughs> is overpowering in his physicality as he is in his temperament. He's scary, he's intimidating, his genial, ordinary alpha guy charisma is as effortless as his emotional vulnerability. Chickless is none of those things, even as he's supposed to be all of them. Sure he looks the part, he's a tough bald guy built like a life-size Lego man. It's no surprise he got cast as a cop, but there's nothing primal about his rage or his violence. Nothing volatile. He's a pretend tough guy. He's got big high school gym teacher energy, which yeah. <laughs> which would be fine if we were playing a high school gym teacher, maybe on a CW show instead of a brutal, angry, hard-nosed street cop. How exactly has this performance remained in the same conversation as James Gandolfini's Tony Soprano Ian McShane's Al Swearingen, Brian Cranston's Walter White, or John Hamm's Don Draper. Or, for that matter, any of the primary leads from The Shield's cop drama contemporary, The Wire. Actually, the better and far more specific counterpoints are Vic Mackey's torture-enthusiast predecessors from noteworthy TV, Dennis Franz's Andy Sipowitz, and Kiefer Sutherland's Jack Bauer. Those guys were the real thing. The S.H.I.E.L.D. revolved around a character who was ostensibly the most dangerous man on the L.A. police force, but in Chickless's hands, Vic Mackey is a silly little dork. <laughs> I mean, that's damning with faint praise for sure, silly little dork. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I never really watched much of The S.H.I.E.L.D., but uh, I did see a few episodes here and there, and it's pretty clear what they were going for, this sort of anti-hero... Um, with an idea of justice all his own, the, right. the end always justifies the means kind of thing. I'm going to bend or break just as many rules as the criminals in the pursuit of justice kind of thing. But I think I think this is kind of valid. I love Michael Chiklis as an actor. Um, but yeah, they're right. This guy does not belong in the same echelon as like Tony Soprano or Walter White as an anti-hero character. Um, he definitely did things for his own reasons, and he just wasn't as sympathetic as those guys were. Yeah, and... I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses. I, it's been a hot minute since I've seen The Shield, but I mean, I have fond recollections of Michael Chiklis playing this character, and I, I don't really have anything negative to say about it. Keep in mind, this is, of course, before Breaking Bad came out, and before you know the Dean Norrises of the world were there to compare to. Uh, so, I mean, really, back then, you really could only compare him to things like uh, you know Bruce Willis or. Was, I mean, because like you said, this was the beginning of prestige-type TV. And yeah. before that, we just had movie, really, to compare it to. Dennis Franz, a little bit. but And, and this was right around the Jack, Bar- Jack Bauer era, 24. 
which I also adored uh, at the time. Yeah. And mostly built on the back of, of Kiefer Sutherland. But uh, I don't know. I don't give it that much negativity. I mean, I, like I think the, the writer of this article was a bit biased. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just because he's such a fan of Dean Norris. And, and of course, I'm a huge fan of Dean Norris as well. Uh, Likewise. Um, but uh, you can be a fan of more bald, more than one bald-headed, tough some bitch, you know? It doesn't have to just be the one. True. And and tr- and as as actors, Dean Norris and Michael Chiklis are both fantastic, given the right Yeah, goal. absolutely. I mean, they fit a, they there was fit a, show a stereotype, a bunch of years ago. but I mean, that's kind of the way that Hollywood is. Yeah. There was a show a couple years ago that I, maybe, it's probably 10, 15 years ago now, that I loved called No Ordinary Family. And it was kind of after The Incredibles came out, and it was the idea, it was a live-action mm, series of a family of superpowers trying to integrate into normal society and not blow their cover. I remember that. And uh, Michael Chiklis was the dad. I loved that show, but it only made it like two seasons because it was expensive to produce because they're superheroes and therefore special effects, and it just wasn't as watched. It was kind of before the MCU kicked off, so superheroes were obviously in the culture. Now it would probably go better. I'd love to see a reboot of it, but um, at the time it just was too expensive and not enough viewers, but I loved that show. I thought it was great on that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of can't argue with a lot of the things he said about uh, about The Shield. Uh, it just really seemed like it was trying too hard sometimes. I don't know. So, I really enjoyed it, but that, that's yeah, just me. I'm, I'm going to actually... He, it, was, it was good, it was good, but like I think they're right. I think he just maybe, when you, if you're going to compare... Um, Vic Mackey to uh, Walter White. I just I, I got to give uh, Cranston the the nod on that one every time. I'm gonna make a judgment call and skip the next two entries on the list because uh, one of them is Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights and um, fuck football, fuck football right in the <laughs> ass. I don't watch football. I don't watch shows about football. Uh, I think football is a cancer on the culture. I've made that point before. Gonna skip that one. Not even gonna mention it again. Uh, and the second one. Uh, next on the list, Leonard Hofstadter from Big Bang Theory. Also, fuck the Big Bang Theory. Because the Big Bang Theory, I watched a couple episodes here and there, but the criticism that gets thrown at that show often is they just make nerd references on a very superficial level without actually understanding nerd culture, and that's very true. That show started off... Um, hoping to make us identify with the nerds as the protagonists, and after a season or two, they really shifted their focus, and suddenly we're all supposed to identify with Penny, the pretty girl, the Kaylee Cuoco character, um, and they made the nerds the butt of all the jokes, and just made a bunch of real surfacey references. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, if you remove the, sound, the laugh track from it, just not a good show, and that's a hill I will always die on. So next on the list, uh, we're going back to Friends. Um... Chandler Bing. And, of course, Matthew Perry has been in the news a lot lately uh, for his recently released memoir that kind of details his drug use, his sort of ups and downs as a character actor in Hollywood, and all the hard stuff he had to go through and the impact that had on him. So we won't talk about Matthew Perry. I'm not going to kick a guy while he's down, Kanye notwithstanding. <clears throat> but Chandler Bing, as a character, yeah, also not an awesome person. So this from the article. Though Ross gets a lot of hate from Friends fans these days, and rightfully so, the life of Chandler Bing really needs to be examined as well. Although many of his actions can be explained away as he grew up in a different time and a different era, Chandler and his decisions are sometimes downright hateful towards his family and friends. While it is understandable that Chandler holds a lot of resentment from childhood over the breakup of his parents on Thanksgiving, his insistence over not celebrating Turkey Day and his sour attitude about it is downright childish. But the real issue is his relationship with his father, Charles Bing, a drag artist who goes by the name Helena Handbasket when performing. 
Chandler regards his father as a source of embarrassment and shame, something that torments Helena greatly and causes them great pain. It is clear in the episode, the one with Chandler's dad, that Chandler didn't even want to invite them to his wedding. Chandler is the cause of his estrangement because he lacks an open mind and the ability to accept his father for who they are. Though they were later able to work out their issues, the years of estrangement were due to Chandler's inability to accept Helena's life and choices. Now, I'm only just now realizing I fucked up before. I thought that uh, the Kathleen Turner character was Ross's dad. I'm only now remembering that was Elliot Gould. Um, it's Chandler who had the, 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 uh, the trans dad. Uh, so I'm going to correct myself on that before anybody else has a chance to... Uh, I, I screwed that up. But uh, that just kind of reinforces the point where we're talking about Chandler. Um, yeah, this makes some salient points as well. And uh, Chandler would be insufferable to know as a person if he was an actual real human being rather than a character on a screen. And so I think this also has merit. Yeah, again, I, I I I find a difficult to weigh in on Friends just because I didn't watch a whole lot of it. But yeah, he he comes across as kind of clearly I didn't the either. center of attention, the insufferable one, the the one you have to hear, the the loudest voice in the room. And you could say the same thing about Ross, and and the other article did. But uh, I mean, it's just he fights so hard to to come across as jovial and happy, but. Yeah, I mean, there's some real ugliness behind Chandler that it's hard to get back. You know, it's hard to, hard to come yeah. back from. And so, uh, there you go. And, and and just for hating on his trans dad, go fuck yourself, Chandler Bing. Yeah, that was never cool. I don't even care if it was the 90s and it was a different time. You don't do that. You don't play that and, shit uh, I, I really... I threw animosity at uh, at Ross for that, not for just getting my characters mixed up there for a minute, but the point still stands. Uh, we're going to combine the next two just because they're both from the same show and it's kind of the same kind of gripe, grievance. Uh, we'll start with Lyanna Mormont from Game of Thrones. And this one's all you. I didn't watch Game of Thrones and won't. Uh, it says, remember when Lyanna Mormont became an internet meme at the height of Game of Thrones' mania? She was in one scene where she almost makes a stupid decision... Then Sir Davos gives like a 30 second speech and she changes her mind. Then for the rest of the run of the show, fans are like, Leanna Mormont is a badass. I was one of them. I was one of them. I'm sure the actress is great, but were we, re were we really that desperate for characters to stand back in the show's heyday? Then in the final season, the creators admitted they wanted to give her a big exit because she was such a fan favorite. So she single-handedly takes down a giant at the Battle of Winterfell before she dies. This was the exact mentality that made the ending of Game of Thrones so unsatisfying. The show got really popular, then the creators wanted to quote-unquote reward fans with hell yeah moments. The Kilganes squaring off, Theon going out in a blaze of glory, Jorah Mormont dying in Danny's arms, and countless other fan servicey moments. The show was never about that. In fact, its buzziest moments came when it was deliberately not fanservice-y. The Red Wedding, Oberon getting his skull liquefied, you name it. Not that the final season was in any way Lyanna's fault, of course, but her arc is the perfect mini-example of why that last handful of episodes felt so off. I could not agree more at this point. Now, I really remember liking Lyanna Mormont as a character. When this happened, she was like an 11-year-old girl who had become, through death and, and everything else, the head of this clan, this household. Um, 
the house Mormont. And uh, so she had uh, all her bannermen and all her people she had to uh, consider. And she's a kid. But, I mean, are you really ever able to be a kid in this Game of Thrones, Westeros kind of world? And so uh, she has to make the hard decisions. And she does. And and they're right, though. It seemed kind of fan service at that point. And, and a lot of Season 8 really felt like they were trying to tie up these loose ends in a way that would... Oh, this is going to be a hell yeah moment. This is going to make everybody happy. You know, oh, let's face the Clegane brothers yeah. off against each other. Everyone wants to see that. And it's like, because we veered so far off of where the books were, and I can guarantee that because I've read all the books up to what he released, it just, it kind of veers. It zags when it should have zigged. And we end up left with uh, just moments. It's, it's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite worked as moments, but didn't really work for me as a movie. There was no real, Gosh. there was no coherent thread for me. And that's kind of what this felt like. There were a lot of moments that were really cool in season eight, but tying it all up narratively, it just felt kind of flat. And, and I get, I get, I that. can sort of see that. And, and what, what I said about not never going to watch Game of Thrones, that is a personal decision, as we talked about last week, due to the glut of nerd culture media. It's one of those things I had to make a decision on, but in this case, it wasn't, I don't have time for it. This was a conscious choice based on actively disliking what I've seen of it so far. And Game <laughs> of Thrones fans, come at me all you want. You can do that if you like, fine. But the thing about Game of Thrones for me is, um, speaking of series of moments, um, I've only ever seen three episodes of Game of Thrones in my life. Okay. And each case, I was hanging out with somebody at their house when Game of Thrones came on or was their, their weekly streaming appointment or, or uh, DVR appointment to watch it. And so they said, oh, if you want to watch Game of Thrones, it'd be cool. We could sit down and watch it. And I watched three episodes. And granted, admittedly, I own this. These were three isolated episodes taken out of context out of a much larger story that took you know several seasons to unfold. Right. But in every case, I watched this. And all I saw was a parade of really unlikable characters. Um, pretty ugly scenery, and at the end of each episode, when I watched it and went, what the hell did I just watch? The person I was watching it with, and these were three different people on three separate occasions, to the person, each one of them turned to me and said, oh man, I'm sorry about that, that actually was kind of a really not very good slash boring episode, I'm sorry you had to sit through that. And I thought to myself, okay, if I can do a randomized sampling of three different episodes, and all of them are actually so bad and out of context that the person I'm watching them with Feels the need to a person, and again, not that they even knew each other, felt the need to turn to me and say, ah, man, I'm sorry, that one kind of sucked. I thought, well, that's not a real, uh, you know, uh, shining endorsement for this series. Um, and then I felt kind of smugly justified, if I'm being honest, when that last season hit and everybody went, oh, they fucked everything up. Um, there are... Because the way I am, and I've told you this before, we've talked about this quite a bit, that if it's a big bloated series like that, I try to avoid spoilers as much as I can, and I want to watch it when it's done. When it's all in the can, I want to watch it on my schedule. I did that with Breaking Bad, glad I did it that way. But when it comes to Game of Thrones, and also by extension, uh, tangentially, Lost, I thought, these are buzzy series that a lot of people I know watch them. I'll watch them when they're done. I'll, I'll binge them when they're done. And in the cases of Lost and Game of Thrones, in both cases, the people that were devotees of the show the entire time both went, man, that last season really ate a giant pile of shit. So I kind of like went, well, I guess I'm not going to waste time with that one then. And uh, so, yeah, Game of Thrones and all of its tertiary spinoffs, uh, House of the Dragon and all that, they're just not on my list and I won't be getting to See, them. and that's what I think is really cool about things like the Mission Log podcast, for instance, that John Champion does, uh, friend of the yeah. podcast, uh, John Champion. 
because they'll go and they break down each episode individually in turn, and then at the end they'll decide whether it holds up, whether it's something that you can, you know, show to someone now and be like, hey, this is a good representation of what Star Trek is. This is a good representation of uh, who this character is, or whether or not it's like, eh, gonna take it or leave it. It's kind of weak story wise and whatever. So that's kind of fun that they do something yeah. like that, and uh, I think Game of Thrones would benefit from something like that. But uh, and then uh, they've got two other characters. I'm going to do the next one out of turn because it's another Game of Thrones character, and we've already heard your yeah. your opinion of Game of Thrones. But uh, uh, <laughs> John Snow, it says, "quote One thing that separates Game of Thrones from other fantasy series is that it tried to avoid or subvert many of the biggest stereotypes and tropes of this genre." For the most part, they succeeded with flying colors, but they still did one thing, or they still did one of the biggest in all but name, the Chosen One trope. And Jon Snow fits that bill. I've never felt drawn to the Chosen One in stories because often they have to function as an avatar for the reader or viewer, which can lead to them having a bit less of a personality. That's Jon to a letter. Yes, he had a pretty exceptionally shitty life. Yes, he lives his life on the frozen edge of the world. Yes, he was betrayed by the few people in his life he considered family. Is that an excuse to be so morose, bleak, and brooding all the time? I don't think so. The show saves some face with other characters, constantly calling out John's attitude and demeanor, but I'll never understand the draw to the icy king in the north. Whenever his scenes came on, my eyes just glazed over. And I gotta say, they're not—they're not wholly wrong. And I think that mostly that what I'm thinking of is that is again that the, you're right—the chosen one trope has been beaten to absolute piss. And everything from Harry Potter yeah. to Star Wars to Willow to—I mean, it's everywhere. The chosen one is a trope for a reason. It—it it exists for a reason. To the point where I, I see a meme once in a while where it's like there's a, the anime trope where it's like, oh gosh, our kid was born with blue hair. Guess I'm going to be a main character. <laughs> oh, I guess we're going to revolve around this Skywalker kid for a while. and uh, mm -hmm. Harry Potter, you know, so the books are named after him, so you know. But uh, I... If you ever want to ruin your life and never be able to enjoy a movie again, there's two books you need to read. One is called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. One is The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. It blows up the blueprint behind pretty much all Western culture storytelling. And you'll never be able to enjoy anything again. <laughs> Not much else I could say about Jon Snow here that I didn't say with uh, with uh, uh, Liana Mormont. Because, I mean, it is just a... Uh, he had a, a handful of really good scenes, and, and really his story arc just didn't... It kind of fizzled out towards the end. And we're meant to root for this guy. This guy's supposed to be the, the, the avatar for us, just like he said. And it just... It, yeah. It felt flat. And I, and I get that, because if it's someone that everyone's going to relate to, you got to make him relatable and open enough to relate for a lot of people to kind of join in. So he's got to be kind of middling, kind of vanilla, kind of... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is here, but, uh, you know, a, a blank slate upon which you can kind of project your right. own persona so that you, you can, can be sympathize him. or empathize yeah. with this protagonist. Yeah. I'm seeing myself on screen with this guy, but boy, if I ever am as, uh, and again, I didn't watch the show, but if I'm ever as whiny as Jon Snow, eh, I, I really hope I'm not. You know, nothing Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
All right, we're going to wrap this up pretty quick because even for us, we're running long. We, we do that. Next one up is uh, Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead is another show that, again, I just, there's way too much. I'll never catch up on. Not going to watch it. Sorry, come at me. Whatever. Hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> Daryl Dixon had a lot going for him when AMC first aired The Walking Dead, especially for those who read the comics and knew the outcomes from many of the core characters. A character created specifically for the show meant there would always be at least one person who could be on the chopping block at any given moment. Comics be damned. He's a wild card. Unfortunately, what we got was a fairly one-note, hard-ass-with-a-heart-of-gold guy who was tailor-made for an end-of-the-world apocalypse. Daryl butted heads with every other character on the show while also managing to be extremely overpowered when it came to the dangers of a zombie-filled world. Suddenly, the one character who we knew nothing about and could stress over their safety became the character you knew was always going to make it out alive. By the time Daryl became more interesting in the later seasons of the show, the rest of The Walking Dead had deteriorated so extremely that it didn't even matter. So here's to Daryl, a character with so much potential squandered. I get that. There was a big hubbub about Daryl back in the early seasons. They had shirts and everything, and it was an internet thing. It's our Daryl dies, we riot, or Daryl dies, we, you know, whatever. And uh, they're right. It became the fact that Daryl can't die. I mean, he doesn't have script immunity, but then again, the books and the the show diverged so rapidly that nobody really had script immunity. That's not a thing that really existed. Um, And and for instance, I'll I'll spoil this for people who aren't familiar with it, but Carl dies in like season eight or nine of the show. Yeah. Carl being Rick Grimes' kid. And uh, spoiler alert, he makes it to the end in the books. Uh, I think it ended at like episode or issue 300 or something like that. It was a long, long run. And Carl's one of the last men standing. And you get to see Carl as an adult, a grown-up uh, in the in the comics. And, and so uh, script immunity is really kind of a thing that didn't really, really work in this particular case. But when you have a character that's as fan servicey and as as beloved, if you want to call it that, as Daryl Dixon, you can't write him off the show without causing a furor, I guess. I don't know if that's the right Especially word. in a show like The Walking Dead, which again, I didn't watch The Walking Dead, didn't watch Game of Thrones, but the, the part of the appeal of those shows was the anybody can die at any time thing, regardless of whether or not you've actually read the source material. Right. Um, your favorite character could get taken out in the middle of an episode because we're emphasizing the unpredictability and the volatility of this fictional world. So this this uh, you're going to emotionally invest in these characters and they can be taken from you at any point is kind of the point. Um, so for uh, Norman Reedus, who is again a fantastic Lovely actor, nothing against Lovely. him or Michael Chiklis or or you know or David Schwimmer or anybody else on this list. We're talking about the characters here. Lovely human being. I've seen interviews with the guy. Um, you know, Death Stranding is on my must playlist. Love Norman Reedus as a person, as an actor, but you know, uh, yeah, when you've got this character who who just doesn't necessarily have plot armor because you know, obviously the source material he's not in it. Even if you are in it, Carl can die. So whatever. But somebody who has just fan service armor. The stakes are just altered forever by that, and so you really don't ever have the skin of your teeth, seat of your pants kind of panic that this guy could uh, get taken out at any point, because then what's the point? He's one of the only originals left, and where are you after that? Yeah, I mean, and and again, it takes away the fact that, uh, you know, he was really unlikable in the early episodes, in the early season, because, I mean, he was fairly racist, he was mm-hmm. uh, brothers to Merle, and Merle was a racist, and like an outward racist, and a piece of shit played by the wonderful Michael Rooker. 
Um, Another bald, tough guy. (laughs) Right. Um, But, I mean, he was written as unlikable, and we're meant to grow to like him over time, but really as a character, there's not a whole lot there to like. His loyalty, I guess... Um, but he really, he distances himself from all the other characters. He, he, he's a loner. He's the lone wolf, alpha male type thing. And, and, uh, so I don't get what there is, as far as the character goes, what there is really to like, other than a hand in a fight. You know what I mean? Someone who's handy with a crossbow. You have my axe, you have my sword. He's a foot soldier. And so, I mean, I get liking him for his, uh, and I'm talking specifically as a, a character in the show. You know, what would you like about this guy if he was a real person standing next to you? Not the fan service. Oh, he's such a heartthrob. Oh, he's so tortured soul. And, you know, we love him. Oh, my God. Now, it's if he was in... If you were dependent upon him as a person in a zombie apocalypse, really there's not a whole lot to like about Daryl Dixon. Now, he's a loner. He's gruff. He's kind of an asshole. Uh, he's loyal to the group, and he's a hand in a fight. That's about all I can really see. So, He's a boondock saint. <laughs> that he is. But uh, that, that's going to kind of do it with our list here. Like I said, we've been talking quite at length, and as we do. But as we there do. is, I mean, this list can go on forever. This is just the list that we pulled from Ranker, and uh, we want to thank the fine people at Ranker for letting us... Uh, steal your article here but um let us know what you think what character in a tv show uh really do you feel doesn't deserve all that praise who's kind of a dick uh i mean jimmy mcgill comes to mind from better call better call Saul, breaking bad uh saul goodman not a great human being kim wexler same thing not a really good good tendencies but just if you knew him as a person, kind of shitty. Uh, Walter White, kind of a shitty person. Uh, and I guess to a degree, it's kind of realistic to get away from this sort of like, uh, you know, mustache twirling uh, villain versus like white-hatted hero who can't do anything wrong. We People are nuanced and layered, so creating characters that are that is also interesting. But if you overall look at the pattern of a given character and go, yeah, wouldn't be friends with that yeah. person, then uh, yeah, we want to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us who you think... Uh, Falls under this TV characters who kind of suck uh, label. Uh, hit us up a couple different ways. You can get us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can also find us on uh, our Gmail, which is uh, fuel your fandom at gmail.com. Backup Gmail address, fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. You can find us there. You can find us on Twitter, you know, for now, at fuel underscore your. We're on Instagram at, at fuel your fandom. And wherever you find your favorite podcasts, Audible, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, probably on the bottom of a gum wrapper you find on the street. We're going to find ways to cram ourselves into your ear holes, and however you find us, we are absolutely overjoyed you find us. And of course, go to extra.com, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. Use promo code FANDOM to get 10% off of your accessories, your wallets, all of your personal things. We highly recommend them, not just because they're a sponsor, but because they're a fantastic company. And of course, their Black Friday sale is coming up uh, starting uh, tomorrow as we record this. So head over there, check it out, use promo code FANDOM, save some money, get some great stuff for yourself. Absolutely. I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more. These are fantastic pieces, and I'm, I love having them uh, in my pocket. 
But uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. Uh, and please do remember that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care. I'm sorry to you. Oh, my.